Well, good evening. It's good to see each one of you here tonight. Would you please stand with me? Let's turn to page 306 as we begin tonight. Page 306 in your hymn book. Only a sinner saved by grace. Let's sing all verses as we begin tonight. Not have I gotten but what I received. Grace hath bestowed it since I have believed. Boasting, excluded, pride I abase. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story, to God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Once I was foolish, then sin ruled my heart, causing my footsteps from God to depart. Jesus hath found me, happy my case. I now am a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story, to God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Tears unavailing, no merit had I. Mercy had saved me, or else I must die. Sin had allured me, fearing God's face, but now I'm a sinner, saved by grace. Only a sinner, saved by grace. Only a sinner, saved by grace. This is my story, to God be the glory. I'm only a sinner. Saved by grace, suffer a sinner whose heart overflows, loving his Savior to tell what he knows. Once more to tell it, what I embrace, I'm only a sinner, saved by grace, only a sinner, saved by grace, only a sinner. Saved by grace, this is my story, to God be the glory, I'm only a sinner, saved by grace. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're a sinner saved by grace, amen tonight. Amen. And if you're not saved tonight, you're definitely a sinner, but if you're not saved tonight, you need to be saved. Amen. So sure glad you're here tonight, and welcome to Thursday night, amen, and uh, what a blessed week it's already been in the Lord, amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Brother Tim Quinlan, would you open us in a word of prayer tonight? Amen. Won't you be seated uh, tonight? Uh, again, just wanted to remind you, if you didn't get a bulletin uh, for the month of August, do make sure uh, that you get one of those. It kind of tells you some of the things that are coming up. Of course, if you have kids in Faith Baptist School, don't forget about it. Uh, we continue half days uh, tomorrow, so we'll be dismissing 
uh, at noon. And then, of course, this coming uh, Sunday, we'll be back to our regular uh, service times. And then Sunday night, uh, our missionary to Japan, Brother Jack Parker, is going to be preaching. And so looking forward uh, to that. And so uh, let's continue on tonight with our services and get right on going. We know why we're here. Amen. So, Brother Eric, come on ahead tonight. Let's turn to page 316. You can remain seated for this one, but page 316, we'll sing all three verses. The Haven of Rest, page 316. Sing it out with me as we begin on that first verse. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distress. Till I heard a sweet voice saying, make me your choice. And I entered the haven of rest. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep in Jesus I'm safe evermore I yield in myself to his tender embrace and faith taking hold of the word my fetters fell off and i anchored my soul the haven of rest is my lord i've anchored my soul in the haven of rest i'll sail the white seas no more the tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep in jesus i'm safe evermore the song of my soul since the lord made me whole has been the old story so blessed of jesus who'll save whosoever will have a home in the haven of rest i've anchored my soul in the haven of rest i'll sail the wide seas no more the tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep in jesus i'm safe evermore amen let's go ahead and have our men uh come tonight and uh, again we're just we're taking up an offering uh each night and so as you're able to give and the lord allows and 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 uh you know just speaks to your heart uh give we certainly want to be a blessing uh to the man of god uh this week so let's go to the lord in prayer tonight heavenly father thank you Lord, thank you again that we get to be in your house uh, once again. Lord, thank you already. Lord, I, 
I truly believe, Lord, if we were to have stopped the meeting, Lord, last night, we could certainly say it's been a great week in you and a great revival, but God, we need you once again tonight. And so I just, I pray that you would be with Brother Alexander, just again, just give him liberty and trusting and praying, Lord, you've already answered our prayers and given him the message that he needs to preach tonight. And so, Lord, I just, again, just ask that you'd just give him liberty. Uh, Lord, once again, help him to know he's among friends tonight, to feel at home, and God, just to preach the Word of God and to be a vessel that you would use tonight to speak to us and to challenge us again uh, from your Word. And so, thank you, Lord. Help us to give, Lord, and to be a blessing uh, to this meeting, and uh, Lord, just to uh, be a blessing to the man of God that you brought our way. So, we pray that you would bless now in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me one last time? Let's turn to page 331 for our last song together. Page 331, He Brought Me Out. We'll sing verses 1, 2, and 4 together tonight. Verses 1, 2, and 4, page 331. My heart was distressed neath Jehovah's dread frown And low in the pit where my sins dragged me down I cried to the Lord from the deep miry clay Who tenderly brought me out to golden day He brought me out of the miry clay He set my feet on the rock to stay He put a song in my soul today A song of praise, hallelujah He placed me upon the strong rock by his side. My steps were established, and here I'll abide. No danger of falling while here I remain, but stand by his grace until the crown I gain. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet 
on the rock to stay. He put a song in my soul today, a song of praise, hallelujah. I'll sing of his wonderful mercy to me. I'll praise him till all men his goodness shall see. I'll sing of salvation at home and abroad till many shall hear the truth and trust in God. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He put a song in my soul today, a song of praise, hallelujah. Aren't you thankful he brought you out tonight if you're saved? I'm telling you what, the grace of God is amazing, amen. You may be seated, wonderful singing tonight. Just before the message of the waters, come and sing tonight. Hallelujah. 
to tonight. Amen. So, Brother Ted, you come ahead tonight and preach the word again. Thank you, brother. Mark chapter 14 tonight. <clears throat> Please, in your Bibles, Mark chapter 14. Had a wonderful time today and uh, had something really cool happen. Amen. Preacher took me to that Q, QAnon diner or whatever they called it. No, it wasn't that. Amen. <laughs> Q something or other. <clears throat> And I declare, I think I had the best barbecue I ever ate in my life. Amen. I mean, I was, uh, it was just, it was good. Amen. And then uh, went to the gun range and a perfect stranger let me blow off a whole mag full of AR-15. Amen. <laughs> yeah, that was just totally unusual. Amen. But that was fun. We just had a, had a wonderful time of fellowship. And uh, I really appreciate your pastor. And he's just been so kind and uh, the way you've taken care of me this week, it's, it's, uh, I've eaten so well, I booked myself back next year. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <clears throat> in fact, I'll be coming two weeks and, uh, in between diets. Uh, but anyway, no, he's, it's just been a blessing. It's been a joy. And uh, I'm starting to kind of like Jeeps, and I always hated Jeeps. Amen. But he's kind of got me a little bit convinced. Amen. Riding around in that thing. He just he hadn't pulled the top off yet. That, if, that'd probably be it. Amen. I'd probably have to get a Jeep then. But... It's just been a wonderful time, and the fellowship with you folks has been a blessing. I've heard a lot of really great feedback and just encouraging words, and I can really sense that you're listening and, and uh, absorbing what's being preached, amen, and I just say it this way, it, it's, you're easy to preach to, amen, and uh, I really sense that you folks have been praying for the meeting and are excited about the meeting, and I want to uh, really mind the Lord tonight. I was excited sitting there just thinking my son is just getting done preaching down in Homestead, and uh, we're finishing down there. It's 820, and so they're probably fellowshipping right now and tearing stuff down and everything. And in about a week and a half, we won't have to tear down anything anymore. Amen. We're going to be renting our own building. Amen. We got keys. We're locking it up. Amen. And we're just going to uh, be able to do that. I don't know if you, you know, have been through a church planning process personally before. Maybe some of you have. But uh, this is, we're about 18 half months in. And uh, we've had to set up, tear down, set up and tear down. And uh, that's hard sometimes with your schedule, trying to get there to clean the church, to set it up, and then tear it down and stuff. And uh, a lot of that just ends up landing on the family, amen, especially if you have pickups. The pickups, people have to leave, and then the rest stay. But uh, So we're excited for that reason and a lot of other reasons, amen. We're excited about also focusing our evangelism on our new location. And uh, so anyway, I, I just was excited about that. But I was... Uh, I was thinking about this message I want to bring to you tonight. I want to do something highly unusual. And before I uh, get to the text tonight, I wanted to read something to you. And uh, I, I told the preachers we're standing up here that nobody might like me after tonight. But uh, in all seriousness, um, I'll preach a very serious, sober message to you. Um, I have studied enough Baptist history to be dangerous. Amen. And 
Um, I've read a lot of good men of God and their sermons and their theological opinions and positions down through the years. And uh, not just Baptist history, but the history of theology and and all of that and uh, how it all ties together. But one of the things that I've found that, that baffled me for a very long time was that all of the good men of God that I looked up to in, in some way that were men of renown, that were greatly used, were giants of the faith, that paid a much larger price than you and I have paid. Um, I've looked at what they've thought about things, and one of the things I've come to is this, that all the men that I believe were the closest to God all agreed on this, that our churches have a lot of lost people in them. That our churches have a lot of people that just don't even understand what the new birth is. That it is a life-changing event when you truly repent, when you f- see yourself lost and hell-bound, and you turn to Christ in absolute repentance and faith and cry out to Him for salvation, and the holy God of the universe moves into your soul. Like I have people tell me, well, I think I'm saved. Well, let me get this straight. You're telling me the, the great God of the universe, of all of the universe, has moved into your soul And uh, this happened at one moment in time, and yet you're not sure about that. Uh, I want to tell you, folks, if you ever truly get saved, you will be the first one that God notifies about it. Amen? Uh, It was like two trains doing 90 miles an hour when I got saved. It was a head-on collision with God. Everything changed. I realized that I came from the depths of wickedness. But the same sin that was sending me to hell is the same sin that's sending you to hell. The same reason I was going to hell uh, because I did not believe is the same reason you're going to hell. It doesn't matter how you want to categorize sin or talk about what backgrounds are. Everyone is going to hell from birth. That is very clear. Saving for the age of accountability, which I do believe the Bible very clearly teaches by rules of inference and logic. However, I will say, folks, that you were born a sinner. And unless you get born again at some point in your life, you are already condemned according to John 3.36. And as I begin to uh, think about these things, I begin to realize as I begin to travel the country and then travel for 24 and a half years, those guys were right. I'll give you a couple examples before I get into this article tonight and then the message. But I, was, uh, I preached this subject that I'm going to preach to you tonight. And uh, we were finishing up a <clears throat> Baptist history tour about nine or ten years ago or something like that. And I was actually in my home church. We had launched from there. We had unveiled a marker, a monument that we had put up. And we were finishing the tour on our way back. It was the final message. Guys were getting ready to drive home. And I preached on this subject. <clears throat> and as I gave the invitation, uh, I, I gave the invitation. And people stood to their feet. We had our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And as I looked up, when I opened my eyes... There was a young man standing in front of the pulpit. He was just about to turn 18 years of age. He was a preacher's son, claimed he'd been called to preach and was even preaching. And he was trembling. And I said, do you need something, son? And he just broke out in tears and said, I need to get saved. And that night he got gloriously saved by the grace of God. I preached on this exact subject in one particular church to about three or 400 people one night and When I gave the invitation, I didn't even really give any instructions, and over 30 people walked the aisle, and all of them that came forward that I know of got saved that night. 
We were dealing with people till after 12 o'clock. One particular individual, I sat with him till about 1 o'clock in the morning, and finally I came down to, what do you, why do you think that you were ever saved if you made a, you know, you told people that before, what made you say that? And here's what he said to me. He said, well, my mother. Now, when the first thing out of your mouth is my mother, you've got a serious problem. Because I want you to understand that you have to have something that when you enter death's door, when you walk through death's door and you end up, my friend, in eternity, you've got to have something you believe in, that you remember, that you were there. Because it's not about what mama's opinion is or, or daddy's opinion. And please don't hold anybody in the pew because you think they're saved. Well, he told me that, and I said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go on your face before God tonight, before you go to bed. I want you to go to 1 John and start reading through there. And every time there's a, a, there's a, a statement made, uh, if you love the brethren, you know that you're of God, all these things. There's a series of questions in 1 John that will clarify when man cannot do it, when I don't know if you're saved or not, and really the counseling has come to a stall, I send them to 1 John and say prayerfully and carefully walk through and ask God, is this me? We came to class the next night. I was actually teaching a college course there as I was preaching in, uh, in, the, in the service on Wednesday night, Thursday. He came to my class, and he, before I started, he stood up, didn't ask if he could, interrupted the class and said, Preacher, I have to say something. I knew it was going to be good, amen. I said, say on. And he said, I did what you told me to do last night as he looked at all the class and exhorted them. He said, in about five o'clock this morning, I finally trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I'm so glad that I got saved. And I want to tell you what, folks, I have been in the services where an 80-year-old woman walked the aisle. Her brother-in-law dealt with her in the back and she got saved. And I had preached to her in two and three week revivals on hell, on uh, you know the second advent, on the rapture, on all these things. And when I talked to her that night and asked her, why didn't you get saved earlier? What took you so long? Her husband was the song leader and a prominent member of the church. And here's what she said to me. Every time I tried to get out of the pew and go get saved, my husband would grab my arm down into the pew and say don't embarrass me woman you know you're saved and she said but tonight I pushed him out of the way which I highly endorse ladies amen I'm not for combat marriages but I'll make an exception in this case and she said no I'm not going to hell for anybody tonight and she went and got saved folks I fear that there are a lot of people in our generation that are missing it they just don't understand. Now, I'm going to do something really unusual because I uh, am not a Southern Baptist for reasons. Not just because I just don't feel like it. And I'm not going to get into all the reasons. Number one is doctrinal reasons. Number two are separation reasons, which separation is a doctrine. But uh, that being said, it's interesting because I was actually at the Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City. I do Baptist research in a variety of different places. The Southern Baptists have to have a lot of the older Baptist history because the separate Baptists, Hubel Stearns and all that crowd, that became the Southern Baptists. Everything south of the Mason-Dixon line, 1845, when the SBC was created, a lot of those Baptists, about 90% of them or somewhere thereabouts, 87 to 93% of them became Southern Baptists. And then, of course, that became the convention and all of that. But they have a lot of good archives and things of that nature. Well, they have a Spurgeon experience up there, and they've got a lot of his uh, archives. They've got his preaching rail and his pulpit, and they've got pictures and a variety of different things. And so I've actually conducted tours, and that was one of our stops. Uh, and, of course, we eat the meat, spit out the bones like we have to do everywhere in life. But uh, 
So I was, I was looking over some things and I came across this article as they had a revival back in 1997 at the seminary. And I want you to understand, it, first of all, consider the source, okay, and then consider the year of this. And I believe this guy is dead on, other than the fact that he doesn't know what the King James Bible is, amen? But, but listen to this, if you would, and please don't get nitpicky. I get what the source of it is, but I'm trying to show you a point, okay? Listen to this. Kansas City, Missouri. This is uh, 1997 in February. And this was, by the way, published in uh, the Baptist Press, okay? Quote, Huge numbers of ministers of all denominations in America are unconverted. That's just comes right out of the box and says it. Said author and speaker Richard Owens Roberts, February 13th at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. As a result, the focus is on accepting Jesus, which is nothing more than giving mental assent or just agreeing with truth, Roberts said. By the way, I fear that in many ways we have reduced the gospel down to, do you agree with these three things? Yes, Pray this prayer, you're going to heaven. Whether there's ever been any Holy Ghost conviction or drawing of the Spirit of God in their life. Look, if there's no conviction, there is no conversion. No one comes unless God draws them. And the way he does that is he shows you that you're a filthy, vile sinner. And he declares his righteousness and his holiness unto you. And lets you know that there's no way you can get into heaven in your sinful condition. But he goes on. After referencing a famous sermon by Gilbert Tennant. Delivered during the First Great Awakening on the dangers of an unconverted ministry, Roberts turned to the first 13 verses of the New Testament book of Jude to describe characteristics of unconverted ministers, just as certain persons who were ungodly had crept unnoticed into the church of Jude's day, so they've crept into the Southern Baptist pulpits, Roberts insisted, and I would declare to you they have crept into all pulpits today. It's hard for me, now listen to this carefully. He's saying, okay, you got all these unconverted preachers, and then listen to this. It's hard for me to believe that a denomination could have such high percentages of its members who could tell you the day and hour they accepted Christ, uh, but do not have the life of God in them without having a parallel problem among the clergy. So he's saying there's lost people in the pews, and there's lost people in the pulpits alike. Roberts noted Jude in his letter to the early church drew parallels between such men and various natural phenomena. In verse 12, for example, these men are compared to clouds, driven along by the wind, which promise rain but do not deliver. In such cases, Roberts said, it's the congregation that suffers. So you got these preachers and they're like clouds without water. They stand in the pulpit and they wear a suit and they lay down what they call the Bible, but there's no power and unction and authority and no calling upon their life. And he said, the people that suffer are the people who are listening to these men. In this world, there are millions and millions of people who are dying for one of the water of life, Robert said. Millions of them will be in the house of God yearning for a refreshing drink, but they'll sit under the ministries of dry clouds. I'll stop there for sake of time. Much more to the article, but it, it interested me that a man in that sect or in that group of people with all the theological problems they have, even Reformed theology and Calvinism creeping in, was concerned about ministers all throughout their ranks that had never truly been saved by the grace of God and people in the pews as well. All that being said, look to your Bible to Mark chapter 14. I'm preaching tonight on the subject of Judas Iscariot, betrayer of the Son of Man, counterfeit Christian. Judas Iscariot, betrayer of the Son of Man, counterfeit Christian. 
Mark chapter number 14, please. And look with me, if you would, to verse number 43. The Bible said, And immediately while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him, and saith, Master, Master, <clears throat> and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said to them, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. Let's pray together tonight. Our Father, as we look at this subject tonight, I pray that first the message would be biblical, straight out of the Word of God, and I pray the text would dictate the message. Father, I pray that each and every person here would have ears to hear, and I pray, Lord, that we would examine ourselves whether we be in the faith. I pray for those that may be embarrassed, too prideful, struggling with this in their hearts, hidden from their parents, their spouses, their preacher, for a long time maybe. And God, I pray tonight, before it is eternally too late, before the trumpet sounds and the rapture takes place, God, before they take their last breath, I pray that there would be salvation that would come to their house. God, please bind the devil, <clears throat> as we've already prayed several times today. Bind them away from this place. May the Word of God have free course. Help me to preach like I've never preached before, just to be completely yielded to you. And God, I pray that you'd save the lost and bring yourself great glory tonight. <clears throat> Lord, please work now, we beg of you, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Judas Iscariot, just the mention of the name, causes us to kind of shudder a bit. We realize that this man was, uh, of course, he burns in hell today. We realize that, and yet his legacy lives in infamy as the one vile man who betrayed our blessed Lord. What a slimy thing to be remembered for. Maybe that is why we cringe when we hear his name. We love Jesus, and yet we know how that he lied to Jesus right to his face, and he tried to deceive Jesus and said he was even speaking in Jesus' name. But in the end, ultimately, he was a betrayer of the Son of God. Now, if I could cause you to think for a moment, what has made Bible students and teachers and commentators and preachers marvel over the centuries is that Judas was a lost man, even though, think of it, he had every chance to become a Christian. And at the same time, even though he was lost, he had every appearance of a Christian. For example, I'll remind you that he was there when Jesus Christ performed divine miracles. I mean, you talk about a fella that was accountable and should have gotten saved by the grace of God. Can I just tell you, I've never seen miracles like unto what Judas saw. Amen. He saw the Son of God do amazing and miraculous things. Can you imagine to see a man touch somebody's eyes and take somebody who's been blind their whole life and now they can see to literally 
walk on the top of the water to speak to the ocean and cause it to do whatever he had a mind to tell it to do, to take a few pieces of bread and fish and multiply them on numerous occasions, to take the cripple and pick them up off the ground and and to heal the lepers and to raise the dead. Judas was there and he saw all of this and a whole lot more. If anyone ever should have been saved, it should have been this man Judas. May I stop and by way of application tell you that you ought to be saved by the grace of God. You are sitting under preaching from the Holy Bible sent down from heaven. A miracle 66 books, amen, divinely inspired because God wanted to deliver you the message because he doesn't want anyone to ever go to hell. You've seen other people get saved in your midst. You've seen the greatest miracle that's ever been performed. Think of it, friend. People being translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, being taken from an eternity in hell to be turned about to go to heaven you have seen this miracle maybe over and over you may have seen your kids saved or or your husband saved or, or someone else close to you saved you have seen God do amazing things just like Judas did and you ought to be saved by the grace of God Judas also was there when Christ, as I mentioned, multiplied the food, when he healed the halt, the maimed, the blind, and the lepers. He was a member of the assembly. Think of it. He heard Jesus Christ preach in person repeatedly. Man, we long for guys like me to be pushed aside someday and for Jesus to take center stage, hallelujah, and us to be forgotten and forever to sit at the feet of the one who has the wounds in his hands and in his feet. Well, Judas heard Jesus speak. He heard these miracle words of power and authority like no man ever spake over and over and over. He should have been saved by the grace of God. But listen, he had a wicked, ungodly heart heart. Not only that, may I say this, he was a member of the assembly. Amen. Now listen to me very carefully. We'll get to that in just a bit. But he held office in the first assembly. Think of that. He went out on preaching tours. Here was a man out proclaiming the word of God and he wasn't even converted. He walked with Christ. He talked with Jesus Christ for three whole years. He looked him in the face day after day after day. One day only to walk up and kiss that face the door to heaven and walk and turn around and go straight to hell he was unconverted and here's what's amazing nobody even knew nobody could tell but Jesus Christ himself it's kind of scary isn't it we don't know who's saved in here and who's not saved. You can go ahead and be convinced that 100% of the people sitting in the Baptist church is saved. I will tell you, I wish you could have traveled with me for just 12 months and your whole life would be flipped on its head because I've seen preachers' wives and deacons and elderly people and people have been in church for 50 years of their life get truly converted in our revival meetings. And I'm telling you folks, there's a lot of people hanging around churches that are as lost as a ball in tall weeds. Matthew chapter 26, verse 20 verse through 23 says, Now in the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. <clears throat> the Bible said they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Remember this. Every word in the text is important. And the Bible said that all 12 were present. Then the Bible says that when he said there's one of them that is a devil and is going to betray them, I never saw where John said, hey, I think it's probably Judas. 
I seen him, you know, he was talking about getting his, getting his nose pierced. Nope. He thought it could have been himself. Judas showed no outward indication. He was a grand imposter. He was masquerading as a Christian. I never saw where Peter said, I know it's Judas. I saw his chariot going down the road the other day. Boom, boom, boom. No, it wasn't like that, amen. That nobody had suspicion. Nobody had any idea. I'm telling you that this guy was an imposter. He was hiding among the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ and he was lost without God. That goes to show you something. Hanging around church is not going to make you a Christian. Now, hanging around church is a good place to hear the gospel so you can become a Christian. But if you think just hanging around church the rest of your life is going to do you a favor, it is not. There's a time you better realize that you are being confronted tonight with the fact that you were born a filthy, vile sinner in the eyes of a thrice holy God. And without Christ, you will perish in the pits of hell. Think about it. This guy, Judas was actually a devil-possessed church member. Luke chapter 22, verse 3. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, <laughs> being of the number of the twelve. Now what does that prove? Well, that goes to show you that it's possible to have devil-possessed church members. Amen? Now if that makes you mad, I'm sorry it's coming right out of the text, friend. Here was a guy that was full of the devil and was a member of the first church. Amen? Now we understand they're not true members of the body in God's eyes if they're unconverted, but their names are on membership rolls. They've got everybody convinced they're a member. They're doing what everybody else is doing, and yet they're lost. Judas was such an imposter, the world called him Christian, the disciples called him Christian, those that knew him the best and spent the most time with him had no clue that deep inside there was no spiritual life whatsoever. He learned to act just like them and say the words that were appropriate so he'd never uh, be able to, he'd never let it out that he was lost if I could say it that way. And he had fooled everybody except Jesus because Jesus knows everything. And Jesus knows your thought life and my thought life. He knows my heart. He knows my attitude. Jesus knows if there was a day when he met you and mark it down, that is what really matters tonight. There's a perfect record in heaven as to whether you're saved. Jesus Christ knows all about this. Judas was so deceived because he thought he could really deceive everyone and he didn't realize that Christ had him pegged in eternity past. John 6 verse 70. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Judas was also called out, if you remember, by Jesus at the Lord's table. In John chapter 13, verse 26 and 27, Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him, then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. You never see Jesus saying, I think one of you might be lost. Please, guys, help me investigate this. No, he knew. He knows me by name, and he knows you in, in so much that the very hairs on your head are numbered, lost or saved. He wrote your DNA code, whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. Knows your social security number, every thought inside your brain. He knows where you live. He knows everything about you. Listen, friend, that goes to show you that you can fool men, but you can never fool the Lord. Here's my theory. Tell me if it's biblical or not. 
Jesus Christ had 12 in his church and one was lost out of 12. In a crowd this size, doesn't it stand to reason somebody could be lost? Doesn't it stand to reason maybe five or six could be lost? I'm, I certainly don't know. I'm not God, but I'm here to tell you, I am not going to come in here and put my stamp of approval on a church and preach a bunch of messages to save people and then have to answer to a holy God someday because I had maybe one chance and the rapture happens next week when I'm in Florida and you're here and I failed to preach unto you the unsearchable riches of Christ. I would be a failure as a minister of the gospel to come in, have all these chances to preach and not warn you that hell awaits the lost, my friend. And we are coming down to the end of an age whether by rapture or your own physical death you will meet God very soon and you better be prepared you better be prepared let me ask you are you one like Judas maybe you've got some of the same problems that Judas had because see here's the thing although Judas on the outside portrayed something There was a lot of problems going on on the inside. And I believe that if you're here tonight and you're masquerading as somebody who has truly been experienced a new birth and been saved by the grace of God, outwardly, you may have your parents and your children, your spouse, your preacher convinced, but I believe that you're troubled on the inside. I want you to think about it for a minute. One who is not truly saved, they have Bible reading daily, maybe, with no understanding whatsoever. Take your Bible very quickly. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Now, I remember when I was lost. And uh, I was Catholic. We were so Catholic, I was born without a middle name. When I got confirmed in Catholicism, I took the Catholic name Matthew, which was one of the apostles, and uh, went to Catholic school, had three aunts that were nuns, and uh, one of my nuns' uh, aunts <clears throat> was my principal at West Catholic School. And um, preacher, we made a new Bible cover for our Dewey Reams Catholic Bible every semester. They either have, you know, that crazy looking heart with all the thorns wrapped around it, gory stuff like that. Mary on the half shell, you know, a lot of these crazy things or the praying hands with the light rays coming out of them. Now, I'm telling you, I decorated that book up, and I decorated that book up, and it's not a King James Bible, but there's enough truth in it to get the gospel truth out of it. It wasn't near as far as some of these crazy ones today, although it was a corrupt version. But my point is this. I never really cared to read what was inside of it. The reason was because when I was forced to read it, I couldn't make head nor tails of it. As a lost man, I approached it and thought, man, I get more out of Shakespeare. I get more out of the Tupperware book. I get more out of the newspaper. I get more out of the comic strip. I can't get nothing out of this. I just don't get this book. And see, there's people in our pews, and you and I are here, we're getting fed, praise God. The Word of God's coming out, and we're soaking it in, and we're loving it, and they're sitting there, and their head spinning, saying, I still don't see what the big deal is. You might have a spiritual problem, friend. And if you open the Bible where the God of heaven talks to me and talks to the, those that are saved in here every single day and you never see him, you never meet him, you never sense his presence, you never hear his voice, he's never showing you a nugget, he's never giving you something to help you through the day. If God never shows up in your Bible reading in a spiritual sense, mark it down, my friend, you might have a spiritual problem. 
Notice, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Bible said in verse number 14, But the natural man, that is the man who has not yet experienced the new birth. He's in his natural state, lost without God in a sinful condition. He receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. So things that are the Spirit of God, you can't receive them if you're the natural man. They hit you, roll off you like water off a duck's back. Nothing's absorbed, nothing's understood, it doesn't make sense. Look what it says. For they, that's the things of God, are foolishness unto him. This is exactly what I just told you. They were foolish to me. Why should I read it? I don't get it. Why should I read it? Nobody understands it anyway. And that's how it was when I was lost. He said, neither can he know them. You can't know what the Bible teaches because they are spiritually discerned. It takes the discernment of the indwelling Spirit of God for us to understand the Bible. You understand that? That's why God does something supernatural to the lost man. Otherwise, he would stay in his condition. And that, by the way, is not regenerating him before he gets saved or has faith like the Calvinist teaches. But rather, it is convicting him and drawing him and giving him the understanding in that moment so he can see himself as a sinner and God as holy and righteous. But if you're here and say, preacher, I hate the Bible. I'm forced to read the Bible. I never get nothing out of the Bible. Mark it down. Point number one uh, the, in the, of the facts that you may not be saved by the grace of God. And you're not going to get it until you get saved. But I'm here to tell you something. Something happens when you get saved by the grace of God with this book. All of a sudden, do you know that after I surrendered to preach, I was living in a little old ramshackle apartment all by myself before I went off to Bible college and I was riding a bicycle to work, saving my money, saving my pennies to go off to Bible college. I was completely surrendered to God as much as is possible and I read the Old Testament six times and the New Testament 29 times in a six month period. I couldn't put it down. I was absorbing it and memorizing it. I was in love with it. I was preaching it. Man, I didn't understand tact. I had attack. Amen. I ran out with the word of God and wanted everybody to hear it because it was turning my life upside down. Well, I think I might be saved. I think I might get some of this. You know, there's an illumination that the Holy Spirit puts on. He shines bright light on the Scripture. There are these paths of truth which Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would guide us into those paths of truth when we look into the Word of God. It's quick and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces our heart. It cuts us a variety of different ways. It gives us hope and it gives us strength and it gives us courage. Mark it down. If you're not getting nothing from the Bible, you may not have been saved by the grace of God. Then how about this? Are you one with prayers, but no answers? I'm going to tell you what, I'm glad God's answered my prayers. Amen? And I'm glad I learned a long time ago that he may answer no. He may answer yes. And he may answer wait. But I'm glad I know there's always an answer. Amen? We know that he heareth us. Amen. I mean, we have promises all through the Bible. He has asked us to come to him, to cast our cares, to approach a throne of grace and, and to constantly call unto him and he'd show us great and mighty things. The Bible is co constantly full of statements over and over as you read it uh, where Christians can pray and God will answer those prayers. I remember I had an old prayer book and it got full of pages. And I read George Mueller's testimony probably 25 years ago or more. And I remember when they found his prayer books, it said, T-U-G, 
T-U-G, T-U-G, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of entries of prayers that he had prayed. And why did it say T-U-G? Because those are the ones he knew that God explicitly had answered completely the way he prayed them. And he said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. He knew what it was to get answers of prayer. I'm going to tell you something, folks. He did not. He wasn't the Wednesday night water walkers club. He did not have a cape on him. He was not some supernatural being far above us. He was a sinner saved by grace. And the same God that answered his prayers is the same God that will answer yours and will answer mine. Isn't it sad though to be an imposter and to see someone stand up the testimony service tears streaming down their face saying God did this for me and God answered this prayer and God did this and you ain't got a clue about what they're talking about because your prayers are going they're not even reaching the throne of grace and you can pray the rest of your life and say a bunch of words But until you have a relationship with the God that answers prayers, you will never get a prayer answered. I want you to very quickly look in your Bible to Psalm number 5 with me. I'm telling you, if you are getting hit tonight, this is not because I'm picking on you. This is because Jesus Christ loves you supremely. And our God is long-suffering to us, contrary to what the Calvies say. He's not willing that any should perish. But a double L should come to repentance. God wants everybody to be saved by the grace of God. Well, if I've sat here and mocked God and been a rebel, that means he loves you enough and has enough grace to come to you again tonight. Notice, if you would, Psalm 5 and verse number 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. And we'll look up. The psalmist was not only dedicating his life to praying every morning, but he knew that somebody was hearing it. Amen. I'm going to tell you, that makes a difference. Praise God. I told you last night or the night before how I used to pray all those vain repetitions. We did the rosary, man. We could buzz around that rosary like crazy, man. Make your head spin. But God never heard a word of it, paid no attention to it. The only prayer that God will ever hear from you, sinner, is when you fall on your face and say, Oh, God, I'm lost. Please forgive me. Please save me. I now accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. He'll hear that prayer. But you go through life without Jesus. Pray, 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 pray. And you are not even praying. You're just saying a bunch of words. Is that you? Preacher, I prayed my whole life and I never got an answer. I wonder why. Preacher, I always ask God for things and it just doesn't seem like He's there. Really? I wonder why. Please think about your soul tonight. Am I giving you Bible tonight? Judas was a man who could not have possibly enjoyed the blessings of fellowship and and relationship with God because he was a lost man. And then think of this. As believers, you and I know this. That's why we can go on, amen, because he lives. He gives us power to face every day. And I'll tell you, but for for the person who's the imposter, no Philippians 4.13 for you. No Tim Tebow for you. Amen? Uh, you, you can't walk around saying, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me because Christ don't strengthen the lost. And, and the sad fact of that is you've got to face your own problems. 
You've got to muster up your own strength. and You're going to the school of hard knocks. I've got news for you, honey. I'm just telling you as a believer, knowing what I know after all these years of being saved and preaching the gospel, if I have to fight my own battle starting tomorrow, I am through, man. There is no possibility that I could ever make it without Jesus leading the way, empowering me, and fighting my battles. You think you're going to fare well in life being a hypocrite and being a fake and a phony without Jesus? You have no power to live. You've got to fight every one of your battles in your own meager strength and you'll fall on your face and you'll drown in sorrow and life will be a sad dark place without the power of God in your life I'm gonna tell you it's a hard way to go I'm glad as a child of God I have his strength to draw on day by day by day when my nights get long and my valleys grow deeper I have his sweet presence And there's nothing like the presence of God when trouble comes your way. Amen. In the midst of the night, early in the morning, wherever you're at, praise God, Jesus is always there. I want to get back to our text. Would you please take your Bible and go back to Mark 14 with me. As we go back to our text, the night of Gethsemane came. Mark chapter 14. Judas has now faked out everybody but Jesus. He has now done everything within his fleshly power to put on a facade. My thinking is it would have been easier just to get saved. Amen? I mean, it's much easier just to fall on your face, realize you're a sinner and God loves you and he's holy and he died for you and give your heart to Christ than to spend your whole life. Why? For what purpose? To convince people you're something you're not when it's not even important enough for you to actually get saved? Why would you waste your time trying to convince everybody of it? But getting back to our text in the Garden of Gethsemane, while Christ was anguishing in prayer, Judas was now about to betray him. His phony Christian life couldn't last forever. And they never do last forever. I'm going to tell you folks, sooner or later, that old wicked rotten flesh, you're going to reason in your mind, what's the point of even trying anymore? And you'll go out into sin or you'll die a lost sinner. But I want to point out that this was Judas's idea to betray Jesus Christ. He was not solicited by anyone but Satan. The, the wicked idea was hatched in his own mind. And I want to say the depths to which people will go, whether they were born in a homosexual home, transvestite home and lived their whole life that way, or they were in church and lost and lived their whole life that way, the end of their mind is corruption and wickedness. You listen to me? Sin is sin. And you can sit in a church. It's like, look, if I walk into a garage, that doesn't make me a Cadillac. Amen? And just because you sit in church, you are no better than the transvestite and the rapist and the murderer. All sinners go to hell. And your mind is corrupt. And Judas was wicked in the presence of Jesus and all the apostles because there was nothing on the inside insomuch that he would betray God Almighty for 30 shekels. Mark chapter 14, verse 10 and 11, And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him unto them. This was his wickedness because he was lost. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he, he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And so this was something hatched in the mind of an imposter. Again, 
your mind is wicked, your mind is corrupt, and you have no idea where this will lead you if you don't get saved soon. Matthew chapter 26, please, in your Bible. Matthew chapter number 26, hang a left with me quick. I want to take you to the garden. In Matthew chapter 26, let's read verse 36 down through verse number 39. The Bible said, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. As Jesus Christ prayed and wept and sweat great drops of blood and supplicated to the Father, we find in this text that he makes that statement that causes us to realize the great burden that he really truly was carrying. His manhood is clearly seen as he says, Father, let this cup pass. Now see the amazing thing about this tonight is that it wasn't his cup. It was your cup. It was my cup. You see, my friend, listen to me carefully. Christ could have easily in that moment said, Judas, come here now. You drink this cup. You deserve it, but not me. But my friend, he submitted, Jesus did, to drink it for Judas and to drink it for all. He drank the cup of torture. He, would, he, was, he chose here to drink the cup of bitter herbs and blood and tears, topped off with the sins of the whole world, your sins and my sins. He chose to drink that cup with the very wrath of God poured all over it. He would drink that cup and he drank it for every single one of us. Now, as we continue to follow the events of that night, next he upbraids his disciples, as we all know about, for sleeping instead of saying some much-needed prayers. And as he talked with them, <clears throat> the enemies of Jesus approached the garden. Christ and his disciples, no doubt, heard the tumult. As they were there in the garden, as they looked out the garden path, here came the scribes and the Pharisees in a posse. I can imagine the looks of hatred and yet the look of joyous anticipation upon their face that they would finally be able to rid the world of this man named Jesus. Their torches no doubt were lit as they looked up and saw them entering the garden that night. Their purpose was already set to destroy this man named Jesus. No doubt their anger was at a fever pitch as they entered because of the directions of this man Judas. Look in your Bible to Matthew 26, drop down to verse number 47. The Bible said there, And while he yet spake, <clears throat> lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude, with swords and staves from the chief priests the el and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he hold him fast. And watch this. Forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master! And kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Boy, the compassion is seen in Christ to the very end. 
his desire to uh, have a willingness to save Judas and show him the love of God and the offer of redemption. It's there to the very end. He says, friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus. And the Bible said they took him and behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, put up again thy sword into his place for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. Let me, I just comment on this for a moment. Judas's plan to betray Christ with a kiss specifically was the most sinister betrayal ever known to man. Caesar and Brutus is a laughable comparison. Benedict Arnold should never be brought into the conversation. We are talking about God himself who is here to redeem all mankind being betrayed by someone that he extended grace and mercy and opportunity and position and all the wonderful things to him and yet he turns around and kisses him and gives him the kiss of death. The snake used a kiss, the universal symbol of affection to stab Christ in the back. He was a coward and a deceiver right to the very end. His heart and the blackness of it is put on full display when he can have an innocent man be put to death by one simple act, which even the act itself was nothing more than a charade. Rarely has one been so clearly blessed and yet been so utterly unthankful. Judas was indeed a son of the devil. And may I say, like Judas, rarely have people like now in 2022 been so blessed. There is no reason for you to die and go to hell. We have a perfect Bible. This has been proven conclusively. We have churches with people that love you. We have facilities where we're unmolested and unconcerned about arrest or persecution. Where you can sit and in comfort and security have men of God get up who have prayed and walked with God and preach unto you the word of Almighty God. My friend, never has there been a generation that is so blessed by all the the things of God were saturated with them. The blessings of God and His truth are overflowing us. What a travesty that some of our children and our members and our deacons and even preachers in our independent Baptist pulpits will roast in the pits of hell. Because they never understood it's more than a prayer. It is the new birth that is required for salvation. You cannot betray Christ like Judas Deny Christ, dishonor Christ, and get away with it. You will face Him here or there. Now what do I mean by that? Take your Bible and go to Matthew 27. And I want you to look with me to verse number 3. So for all these years, Judas is fake. He's phony. And don't think for one second he got away with it. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 3. Then Judas which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See thou to that. Now let me just stop. Now I'm going to move on to verse 10, but I want you to look up here for a second. You become compatriot. You become friends with. You join up with the wicked world and think they care about you. 
You are dumb beyond belief. Listen to those who have lived a few years, taken some hard knocks, studied the Bible, know God. Listen to what I'm saying tonight if you've never listened to one thing I've said. This wicked world doesn't care anything about you. Get sucked into their LGBT garbage. Go ahead and see what happens to your soul in eternity. Go ahead and listen to their ungodly music. Go ahead and dress like these trash bags out there that are trying to destroy us. Let Hollywood lead you. Let the pop star and rock stars tell you how to live and think boy they love me that's my group that's what I'm going to run with and when they're done with you honey my friend they won't even be able to identify you you'll be in some dimly lit apartment on a rocking chair with kids to several different people divorces with a needle hanging out of you I'm telling you folks I have seen people across this country brought up in the greatest homes in this country and when the devil had crumbled their lives up and threw them to the wind you couldn't even recognize them anymore I've watched a lady walk into a church. Brother, I watched a lady walk into a church, and I could have swore she's an elderly woman. She walked into church that night, and I found out from the preacher she'd left about four or five years before, got into methamphetamine. All her teeth was gone. Her face was all shriveled up. Her lips were all shriveled up. And she's about 29 or 30 years of age. I could have swore. I, you'd have never convinced me she wasn't 60, 65 years old. And she come kind of crook back into the church. I'm telling you, sin will tear your life to shreds. We're no match for it. That's why Christ took it on the cross of Calvary to save us. Not just to give us a home in heaven. Not just to glorify God. But he wants us to have life here and more abundantly. You give in to sin and don't get saved and it'll tear your little life to pieces. Sin is wicked. It's horrible. He said, hey, I realize I messed up, guys. Hey, guys, you love me, right? Hey, you guys, I made a covenant with you, you evil men. Come on, help me out, guys. What's that to us? You go deal with that. And this world will throw you to the wind. He cast down the piece of silver. Verse 5 of the temple departed, went out, and the Bible said he hanged himself. Remember that he hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver piece and said, It is not lawful for it to be put in the treasury because of the price of blood. It is the price of blood. They took counsel and brought with them the potters, bought with rather, with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore for that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Now the Bible said he hanged himself in despondency. Take your Bible and go to Acts chapter 1, please. Acts chapter number 1. We're comparing two passages, Matthew 27 and Acts chapter number 1. And there have been some skeptics, very vehement that this is contradictory. But these passages are not contradictory. Notice if you would, Acts chapter 1, verse number 16. He said, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled with the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus if he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry, 
Now this man purchased a field, and with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst of the, of, uh, in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known in all the dwellers at Jerusalem, in so much that field is called in their proper tongue, uh, a caldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Now some have said, well, you know, the Bible said there he hanged himself. Herod said he fell down, his bowels gushed out. Which one? Yes. The field was purchased with the money, the field of blood, which was Judas's, which he threw down. So the field was, in essence, purchased by him. He went to the field, and he hung himself to death on that piece of land. As he hung there, we're not sure whether it was the rope, to be honest. We're not whether, sure whether the buzzards picked him to pieces. But at some point, his body rotted so terribly that it fell down to the ground, and his gut spewed out all over on that field of blood. That's why it's called a caldama, to this day, the field of blood. Now, why would God show us that? Because He's showing us the terrible end of all those who would live the life of an imposter. What a horrible scene. Picture it. Here's Judas prancing around like he loves Jesus. Then he betrays him. And he ends up a pile of guts in a field called the death field. You think your life's going to end pretty? Well, this is just old-fashioned old religion. You know, there's a lot of new ways to go today. Yet yeah, every last one of them will lead you straight to hell. Every last one of them will lead you into the pits of perdition for eternity. When you compare Scripture with Scripture, the only conclusion is he bought the field, hung himself, and fell down and is a nasty picture of the lost. Can you imagine Judas, though, for just a moment? He went from following Jesus around as a fake to pains of regret to betrayal of the lost friends he had to insanity to suicide down, down, down after that to the lowest hell. In Acts chapter 1 verse 25, the Bible said that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he, that's Judas, might go to his own place. Judas walked the dead end road to destruction. And yet, you'd have asked the most spiritual disciple alive if Judas was a Christian. Oh, Yes. Oh, no, brother. Why do you doubt people's salvation all the time, brother? I hear that from preachers. Preacher, you're not trying to get my people to, do, to be retreads, are you? I'm trying to keep people out of hell, friend. And I'm not here to try to get you saved a second, the third, and the fourth time. That benefits me absolutely nothing and certainly doesn't bring glory to God. I'm here to try to tell you if you are lost, you better get saved. And you only get saved one time. How about you, John? You, 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 don't you lean on Jesus' breast? Oh, yes. You know him well. Yeah, he loves me. In fact, I think I might be kind of special to Jesus. He's probably right. What do you think about Judas? Oh, Judas is a good Christian. John said. Peter. All of them. Is it I? It can't be Judas. Me, I can believe. But Judas, no, he's a good Christian. You think you've got everybody fooled. And you might, almost. But not Christ. We are reminded in Matthew chapter 7, which describes Judas to a T. There are many Judases in our churches today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which incidentally is to believe on him whom the Father hath sent. 
That is the will of the Father. It's not the law. Amen. It's not keeping any kind of commandment. It is trusting Christ as Savior and Lord, accepting the Messiah as your Lord and Savior. Many will say to me in that day, not a few, but many, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils. In thy name have done many wonderful works. Then I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Notice that from the preacher down to the church mouse, there are many different types of people who are saying, Lord, Lord, slipping into hell from a church pew. Oh yeah, from pulpits they're slipping and dropping into hell. Now not only is there many going, but Jesus did not, he say, that narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And then here he says, many shall come to me. On November 24th, 2009, one of the most shocking incidents that most people have long since forgotten about took place. And it really brought out the vulnerabilities of our security as a nation. Not 9-11, but on November 24, 2009. That was the day when Michael and Tariq Salehi, a married couple from Virginia and a man named Carlos Allen from D.C., attended a White House state dinner for Indian Prime Minister Manhaman Singh. They were not invited guests. These people had the ability somehow to pass through two different security checkpoints. One of them required positive photo identification, and yet they schooled the system and got in. They entered the White House complex amongst a variety of different high-class and highly technical dignitaries, and they not only were in the area of Barack Obama, they met the President of the United States uninvited in one of these big shindigs they had. The fallout from the incident included a variety of different security investigations. There was a huge stink about it. All types of questions and inquisitions and legal inquiries and sensationalistic reporting. Everybody was all excited for the first few days. My point is this. They were phonies. They were counterfeits. And they snuck in where they didn't belong. But I want you to hear me and hear me well tonight. That will never happen in heaven. His sheep know him. Listen to me. And he calls us all by name. Amen. And he gives unto us eternal life. And if you're a goat, there's going to come a day he's going to separate all the sheep and the goats. Not one lost person will ever enter into heaven. You know the, one of the things I love about heaven? No sin. I don't have to fight this rotten flesh. This mind will finally be completely focused on Christ 100% for all of eternity. How awesome that's going to be. But in so much as that is true, then the flip side is, if you don't get born again and get your sin problem taken care of, God is not going to allow you in to mess heaven up for the rest of us. He will not ever let you into His presence. You're not going to sneak in. The thief tries to steal and climb up some other way, but that's not ever going to happen. A study of the life of Judas reminds us that if you are not born again, you will not go to heaven, no matter how many people you fool all the days of your life. And I beg you tonight, stop acting like a Christian. Stop just trying to hide among the stuff and fit in, be a part of the crowd. If you do not sense that Christ is in your heart, you can't point to a day when you were born again into the family of God and saved by Jesus Christ. I beg you tonight, don't put it off. Because someday you're going to take your last breath. Or the trumpet is going to sound and you are going to be left behind. 
without Jesus Christ. Let's all stand tonight with our heads bowed.